just listening to the sound and I'm wondering if when my mic is on is there a kind of an extra hissing kind of thing okay something else I'm hearing (laughs) okay thank you so I've given a theme for tonight's offering Dharma offering which I'm calling healing attention or healing attention. And I have some ideas that I've put here and let's see where where we get to with them. It's a big project to heal attention, healing as you probably know, refers to um, wholeness. Something that may have been broken apart or estranged in some way. Coming together. Coming together to make something whole. So yesterday we opened up the instructions. We began the instructions with what we were calling the first endeavor of Buddhist meditation. If you remember, we said there's many dimensions, but we're going to begin with the first dimension, which we're calling samatha, which goes from what psychologists would call self-soothing skills, the capacity to settle the disturbance, to settle the baby of our mind, right through to the jhanic absorptions, deep absorbed states of onenesses that can be known. That is not the end goal of Buddhist meditation and we will unfold the instructions But it is with that first spectrum that we're beginning. And when Anushka spoke yesterday of the three kinds of happiness that the Buddha spoke about, these, um, these kinds of wholenesses, of these kinds of absorptions, this kind of settling, this kind of landing, uh, is the second kind of happiness. Remember that list of three. This is a map and a model, and it's very related to the third. Um, But for now, let's look at it this way. So a couple of things about the instructions so far. I've been hearing different things from you and just want to respond to some of them. Um, Some people are, are reporting, and as we would expect, that the idea of the space around the body is either not available or sounds a bit uh, hokey, is that a right word? Um, Or uh, uh, just isn't on your map. That's completely fine. It's completely fine. It it doesn't mean you're going to be less wise or less um, mindful or less healed. Um, 
what, I, as we spoke about yesterday, this aperture of attention that we're offering of the body and a little bit space around the body, I would say to the people who, for whom, hold on a minute, that, that's just not on my radar, it's completely fine, just if you're willing conceptually to be open to maybe there's more to the body and the body field than you know yet, right? Rather than stating this is there and you have to get there, just being quite loose and elastic with that possibility. Um, and that's how things open up for us in general. When we're not absolutely got a fixed view, then the doors can open for us in all kinds of domains. So that's completely fine. Um, a little bit about why we're giving this aperture, right, the body and the space around the body. Why are we giving this attention in this retreat rather than focusing on the breath in the belly, let's say, or focusing on the breath at the nostrils, or, or a wide open awareness. Why? Every technique, every frame, we need a frame in meditation. Uh, but every technique will have its pros and cons. And our retreat, uh, called Your Body, Buddha's Body, clearly has the body as a key idea. right? And in that retreat description I read out, body is a really key idea. And whether you're coming now two days in thinking, oh dear, I didn't know I signed up for a body retreat. I wish I'd had a, um, you know, a vast awareness retreat or some other kind of retreat. Um, you're here now, <laughs> for better and for worse. And, you know, it's, it's not easy. This is not an easy one, and it's not the most obvious one to start with. Right? We want to stabilize our, ten- our attention. Who doesn't want the soothing and the grounding and the stabilizing and the gathering? Who doesn't want an arena where we can have some respite from our crazy mind and start to go deeper? Who doesn't want that? And yet, this particular aperture doesn't um, immediately yield, very often for most of us, it doesn't immediately yield something that we can hold on to and say, good, stable now. Right? Is anyone noticing this? It's, you know, having been in these circles for a long time, recognizing that same wish, same intention, same, can you give me somewhere... This is the, the sub-intention underneath my more lofty intention. Can you please give me somewhere where I can rest this crazy mind and get out of this mess called myself? Right? Okay, breath. Good. That's, that'll do. And in my early years, and check if this is common for you or you recognize this, in that beginning of practice, okay, breath, attention, I know what to do. I'll nail my attention to the breath. And hopefully that will anchor me and give me some calm in the storm, some place for refuge, some respite from the constant movement. Does anybody recognize that kind of way? Well, if you're an old hand at this, you'll know that at a certain point that is fraught. It's not saying that being with the breath is fraught, not at all, but that desperation that many of us may come with or have somewhere in our heart, what we soon start to find out is that gets tight. That gets dry. We might nail our attention for a bit and it's like, oh, that's good. It's a little bit quieter. There's a few less thoughts. 
Um, it's a bit more still for a while. But it takes a huge amount of effort to nail the attention. So what I'm speaking about is different than having the breath in the foreground, so with our body and the space around the body. Yes, absolutely, letting your breath come into the foreground of that whole arena. The difference between that and trying to nail our attention to it so that I have something stable. Can you see the difference? So two things. One is what, what is stabilizing for us in this focus, this ar arena, um, may not be as firm or as solid as you might be used to if you're just with a breath or just with the foot touching the ground. It might feel a bit more amorphous. Is anyone noticing that? Might be a little bit more jelly-like. Might be a little less clear as to what is the thing. Show me the clear thing that will anchor me in the storm. Bear with that. It will get clearer, I think, for you. And I don't mean the clarity of the chiseled kind of clarity that you get with a rational discourse, which is beautiful. You know, thoughts... They have a kind of clarity to them, don't they? That they're sort of chiseled. You know, they've got sort of concepts around them and it's like, even the thought right now, check it out in your mind. Um, today is Friday. It's very, we know. When we know today's Friday, we can see the thought. It's chiseled. It's self-declarative. It's, we know what's what. And we like to know what's what. But if we want to include the body, if we feel called to include the body, even if we're ambivalent, if we recognize there is something about body that I want to heal with my attention for my sake and for if perhaps if we see the bigger picture of our world, then we will want to develop a taste and a tempo for kinds of knowing that aren't as chiseled and self-declarative. We are not denigrating the rational, the chiseled, the sharp, the penetrating, the brilliant minds that have given us so many advances. Not at all. But we might recognize that there are other kinds of knowing that may have gotten lost, may have gotten pushed away, may have gotten denigrated, may have gotten oppressed in our Western and now increasingly global reliance on some of the gifts that arose for us collectively out of the European Enlightenment. I'll say a little bit more about that. And also some of the costs and the legacy that has left us, is leaving us in a position increasingly alienated from our earth, from our bodies, Statistics 
show, I, I saw one on BBC yesterday, increasingly alienated from each other, from the cosmos, from multiple conceptions of the more than me. Even while we find our heart yearning and longing for the ending of the fragmentation and the healing, the healing of this. Is there a relationship between what we're doing here with our attention and the crises of our own mind, the crises of our collective and of our earth? Check it out. You'll see, see what you think. The advances that we probably, well, I, I, would, I would make the assumption that everyone in this room is some beneficiary of the advances um, from the European Enlightenment, that shifting consciousness that happened where suddenly a new perspective was gained on all kinds of things, was an era, 16th century and around there, where we as human beings managed to get this kind of distance on things. So you see that in art, the advances in art, getting a distance on something. Not that it hadn't happened elsewhere in other places, actually it may have done and has. But they're very particular Thing. We get perspective. You get to see more dimensions of something. In medicine, right, massive advance. You get some distance on the body and you can start to see all the different organs. You can deconstruct the parts and you can start to investigate and measure and find out that a heart isn't just this kind of, a, isn't only a God-given uh, mystical organ. It's just a pumping thing that pushes the blood around the body. This was a real advance, but it's one view. And when we make the views that come from that privileged distancing, that perspective, when we make those views the truth, and the only way to see, the only way to know, the kinds of knowing from the rational, the empirical, the measuring, then we, and, and we have, systematically pushed other kinds of knowing aside. So I say this in the context of our meditation practice because there is a significant piece of our work, a huge work, our play, that is healing. Healing this arena in a sense to some degree in humility and recognizing the way that we have pushed parts of ourself away, pushed aspects of our mind away, parts of our body. Are there parts of your body that you, or the whole body, that you reject? Or even if you don't actively reject, that you just overlook, that they're not given the homage and the respect to be filled with a bright attention, to be filled with a kind of intelligence 
that in all our advances, we have slowly withdrawn from the cosmos, from the stars, from the earth, to the individual self, right up into our head, privileging this capacity to get distance on something and the view and the kinds of knowledge that can be known. One of the results I see in my own makeup, my own psyche, is that that capacity to get some room on something and look at it, at best, at best you can, you can get certain kinds of knowledge, right? You can get certain kinds of um, useful knowledge. A little bit further from the at best, I notice that there's a kind of a distancing that happens. You know, this is not separate from the crises of alienation that people report. I read the BBC one yesterday was about 20, people in their 20s compared to people in their 20s 30 years ago. And it was just, it was a, it was a, st a study, a statistical study about um, measures of belonging, friendship, alienation, um, meaning, etc. And as you may imagine, the, the crisis was more acute. It's not that we had it good 30 years ago. So there's a kind of steady decrease in some of the measures of the well-being around these kinds of things. So a kind of distancing, a kind of uh, separation, a kind of, sometimes a kind of isolation. It's like longing for the more than me, longing for that, whatever that means in the different forms that it has, but also a little ambivalent, because this is where I get my safe distance. Does anyone recognize this? You just stay a little bit, a little bit back. At worst, this kind of looking at is a kind of voyeurism, a kind of way that the otherness has become objectified, has become other. And when we separate that fully, then we see what we are capable of as human beings to other bodies. To look at them, even in those, the ways that sometimes they're looked at in popular magazines, right? The ways that bodies are regarded in this painful, um, oh, hurts my heart, kind of... Uh, shaming or pointing or, you know, on that level, the distancing that can exploit other bodies. The loss of resonance, completely lost the resonance. It's something we can do something with. And that has been, in some of our histories, either in personally or um, nationally, depending where we were on either side of the colonial heritage, the capacity to exploit other bodies, to get them to do our bidding.
and that distancing, not just human bodies, but in that alienation and withdrawal, what's happened to our capacity to bow to the sun and the stars and the earth below and the trees. Maybe you have that. I'm not telling you how you are, but I'm describing elements that you might recognize. The gifts that have come from that capacity to conceive of a very, very individual self, which has real gifts. It has real gifts. Maybe there's another process for us as modern people to turn back and see to what extent personally, collectively, globally, is there a healing that is being called for. And I'm not trying to paint, I don't want to paint an idealized picture that we all do meditation and the world's problems are solved, not at all. There are many responses, many intelligent responses needed to the many multiple crises in our world. But there is something profound about attention and the place of attention in this whole question, which I won't fully unpack as I see so far yet tonight, but we'll begin to look at that. So I want us to, I want to invite you Actually, I'd say one more thing. I was reading a uh, reading something recently, and um, it described very nicely this history from uh, the beginning, actually, of intellectual philosophizing in the fifth century BC. Similarly, time of the Buddha, interestingly enough, with that s- uh, slow or fast movement. Um, a way to privilege the head center, basically, to privilege um, the functioning of the, of the intellectual function. And together with it, very typically, the ocular, the eyes, the human eyes, become priv- a privileged sense, right? Because that's, that's the sense we can get distance from. With touch, it's, it's not distance. With ears, it's kind of in you, isn't it? The sound is just there. You can't just shut your eyes. You can't just shut your ears, sorry. With your eyes, you can pull the blinds down if you're sighted, right? So this privileging of the ocular. So hence, the relationship with us coming into the body also, just on a more practical level, if we want to live our insight, if we want to live whatever depth we see on the cushion, we need our body. And If our attention, and we're wedded to nailing our attention to a particular spot, which I don't know if anyone is, but I certainly tried that, it has some benefits, but on its own it is not applicable to our life. It is not applicable to getting on the bus to have my breath nailed to a spot, a single spot. It is not going to open my kindness with the bus conductor if they still, yeah, it's the driver now, isn't it? It is not going to um, increase my capacity to be appropriate in responding to what arises internally and externally. We may see some things that way. 
But if we want to know your body, Buddha's body, and body means that arena of action, of coming into action, in relationship, in speech, in, in whatever form of action we are called to do, the work period, right? That these, these action is not separated from our spiritual functioning. That's another split. You know, all the good stuff's up there, some of us inherit, even if we're secular and don't think that we're still doing the sky god thing, right? Even our tendency to look up when we're looking for ideas, when even if we think the clever stuff is the more up and abstract ideas. How many of you, you don't have to answer this, how many of you, when we're doing this thing, when I said trace the frame with your hands, right, even if it didn't mean much yet, right, but doing it, just little study here, how many of you thought it would be more advanced to not do it with your hands? It would be more advanced to be able to do it without your hands. <laughs> See, the real meditation thing is like, you know, I can just like, hmm. I can do it without the hands. Now, I'm not saying the hands are more advanced. It's that part of the legacy, part of the story is that we think the clever stuff is the more abstract stuff. Because it is, it's really clever. <laughs> some of that stuff and there's even you know with children we think okay so first they have to they have to do the action and you know, what might, might it be uh, yeah they have to do it with actions first right? you have to do it physical and concrete and the physical and concrete that first stage you do and then you get a little bit more advanced and you don't have to um, think of an example can anyone give me some of the school teachers in the room give me an example Thank you, Emma. Come and tell us. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I needed an infant school teacher. You weren't infant. You were secondary. Did you still get them to do that? Like when you need buns, you need to count. So you say one bun, two bun, three bun, four bun, five. Right. And at, by the time you're like maybe eight or something, or maybe earlier for some of you clever folks, you can do it without the buns. <laughs> and weren't you proud of that? Do you remember? So really, don't you remember the advance? I, was like, I can do it without the buns now, I don't need... There's the, little, the younger ones who need the little counters. Right? We can do it without the buns. Now, of course, there's a development there. Absolutely. But the hierarchy, the view of the hierarchy that comes in that development, as we go increasingly and often away, away from the touch, away from the body, away from the buns into retreating further into the frontal cortex till we come to a meditation retreat and go, blimey, this is difficult, this feeling the body thing. And we wonder why, right? So if you thought it was more clever to do it without your hands, um, I'm not saying it's more clever to do it with your hands. I'm not making another dogma. But just check, we've inherited something interesting as modern people around that. As an implicit bias as an implicit assumption about the physical in there, about the physical realm. So here's the experiment. Oh, here's the, <laughs> the, the thing I was going to tell you, someone was describing that we're left often that clever people think that the body is a bit of an inconvenient thing to drag around to the next meeting, right? It's like, oh, right? 
it's where I can work with my mind. That's what clever people do. Or, you know, it's gross strokes I'm painting, but here's the kind of thing I have to care for, wash, take care of, and I drag it along. One of my um, teachers, he, he's, uh, I think he's one of your teachers now too, actually. With, I'm thinking of Ajahn Sachito. Yes. Um, I remember him saying, and he's a man, a beautiful monk, who's had to do a big, he would say also, a journey of descent. A journey of descent. Um, someone's nodding. I think they know him. They know him. No, okay. And I remember him saying something like, oh, yes, yeah, sometimes, and with real compassion, with real love, with real love, because he knows it. And it's not that he would consider himself done, but he knows it. So sometimes I see people walking around and they're like heads on wheels. Or heads with bodies dangling underneath them. So what would healing attention look like with regard to our ideas about body? Because if we want meaningfulness, then we want to be able to register meaningfulness. It's more than meaning. It's more than just intellectual. Meaningfulness is something where we resonate, where we feel deeply. We can pulsate deeply with each other, with things, with beauty, with depth, with pain. If we want that, we need to have our resonators open. And our resonators are here that capacity to pulsate along is not an idea. And as we practice the practices that we're beginning this week, breathing with the body, sensing a little bit more the body, the resonators will start to jingle to be open a little bit more. They'll start to open. They'll start to resonate. And some of what we find, all of us, will be, in a way, residues of uh, emotions, of mind states, of feelings that have been perhaps too much to bear, that we did put away, that we closed our resonators. And as we jingle along, and it might feel jelly-like at first. And if it's too jelly-like for you, by all means, feel your feet on the earth, let your breath become foreground. Give yourself something a little more concrete, but don't narrow around it. Right? As the resonators open, there's a work, one of our works is a healing work. So you might notice things coming to the surface. Sorrow, loss, grief, helplessness, desperation, 
some of the places where there wasn't, we weren't able to soothe the system. We weren't able to breathe out and hold this field in a loving, merciful attention. So this is normal if it should arise and we will be speaking more about working with this. There's the resonator of the heart and there's the resonator of the whole body, this whole vibrating field of our body. So I would like to invite you to do an exercise with me. Experiential and hopefully it will serve you in some way. So please come to standing. And have a piece of floor where there's, I would recommend with a carpet. Okay, let the knees be soft. And we're going to do an experiment that was done in, I think in a university in Paris with some dancers. Don't worry, you will not have to perform now. Okay. Okay, and we're going to explore one of the capacities of attention, which is to, to focus, the capacity to focus. And I recommend, if you can, to do it with the visual, because this ocular um, sense is, if we're sighted, is very often the dominant sense. And if you want to do it with another sense door, you can also do it with a contact, a touch contact. But I recommend if you have sight, which is where there's both privilege in a sense, but also a kind of often an over um, identity, very often, actually. Okay. So, your job. You are the dancers in Paris, and your feet have been put on some magical equipment that I don't understand, but it's, it was there, it's real, it's the truth. There was some equipment that they stood on that measured some of the sensors in their feet and other things. And those dancers were asked, and I'm going to ask you now, please look at something in your visual field or a sense contact in your sense field of touch, but visual field, um, and find something in the room that you can actually focus on, a very particular thing, like it might be the top of the Buddha's head or one of the leaves of the plant, or we haven't got so many detailed objects. Find one. Or a corner of the ceiling or something, find one. Be quite specific. And I want you now, with all your best effort, to give all your focus, to focus in and let your gaze narrow, so everything that, that I haven't been talking about. Let your gaze narrow right into that particular thing and really look deeply into it. Look deeply into that thing. Right in, like you could kind of bore a hole in it or penetrate it right to the other end. You kind of really see it. Okay. And then let go. Sense your feet. Sense your breath. 
we're going to do it once more. And while you're, get, while you're focalizing, focusing, I'm going to ask you a question. So right now, again, give your full attention into that object. Really focus on it fully. And I want you to right now stop, stay there with your eyes, and notice what's happening on any level in your body right now. Anybody like to say anything you're noticing as you give your attention 100% to focusing. Huh? Leaning, thank you. So this person notices a leaning in forward direction. Anyone else? Wendy notices that she is holding her breath. Someone at the back? Hands tingling, thank you. Where do you know where? Great. So you've basically described all the things that they found out. Anything else? Yeah, Martin. Right, you're trying to, yeah, you're kind of leaning. Did you say trying? Flying, Flying. right. Right, so what does that imply about the contact with the ground? Yes. Clenching your jaw. Right. So we're pretty, you know, you may have noticed other things or you may not have noticed that. We'll do it once more. So basically what they notice... I'll synthesize in a minute. So give your focal attention right to that thing. Again, now you're kind of a bit wise to what the trick is, but give your focus, focal attention right to that thing. Sense what's happening in the feet, the breath, jaw, guts, and relax. I don't want to dis focal attention. It's very, very beautiful skill that we need. But the analysis was that we overuse it as modern people, that that's the one that we've come to rely on as what attention means in a certain way. And what they found out was that um, the sensors, the pads of the dancer's feet and the sensors that were being measured, they withdrew a lot of their weight out of their feet, so they come away from the ground. Next thing was that the guts start to clench. The guts start to clench. The breath starts to shorten. The jaw starts to clamp. The leaning forward and loss of balance starts. Right? Now, of course, it's possible to have something in the foreground and widen around it, right? So focalizing isn't bad. You know, as animals, we need it to kind of... You know, when my cat sees a bird, she, she, she's good at focalizing. She's really good. She's like... She nails it. Like, I'm not talking about the killing. She's too old for that. But she can look. The way she looks. Tense. Right there. And as soon as the bird's gone, she's like the most relaxed friend I've got. <laughs> We tend to, most, many of us, check it out and see. We go from this kind mode of attention or to the very, it's so tiring, it's so tiring. The loss of earth, the effect on the body is there. So there's implications for our connectedness. And then we kind of give up like, give me a break. Let me space out for a bit, will you? Okay, so now, let that thing be in your gaze. And leave it alone. Leave it alone. And this other 
form of attention, sometimes called field attention, where we can take in a whole field, can widen, it's not just our eyes anymore, to be attuned to a field. We have many other ways of knowing. So sense your body, let your body widen, let your gaze be peripheral. Notice any tendency to want to nail a particular. See what it's like to imagine the whole of you is the organ of attention. The whole of you is the organ of intelligence, of knowing. Behind you, side to side, in front. may not be so chiseled yet, so self-declarative. Body and matter do not yield their mystery to the observing eye. Yes, they will yield and let us know beautiful things about medicine. But body and matter do not yield their dare I say, sacred mystery to the observing eye. When a body is being gazed upon, from a disconnected distance, you imagine what your body does when someone is looking at you in that way. Either they want something from your body or they're rejecting your body or just ignoring your body. Body isn't going to play. We learn Some of you will be remembering other ways of knowing that we may have had as children, but now we can come to it with discernment. For some of us, it will be um, healing and finding out things that are off our radar that we have long put away or undervalued. Okay. So let's sit for a minute. So whatever element, whatever aspect of healing is resonant for you, the personal, the deeply personal levels where we may be aware of things that have become fragmented. For some of us, we can sense the fragmentation or the division between, let's say, our head and our heart. There's a kind of healing. 
that journey between our belly and our heart. There's a communication and relationship between our pelvis and the earth and the stars. And this isn't just poetic. Or if I say just poetic, I mean it is poetic. But poetic can also be restored as something that opens doorways of sensibility to the more than me, that my heart longs to come home to. We do a um, forgiveness practice in this tradition. And I'll, I'll offer some of the phrases now, and I'll be doing it for myself, but if they're at all resonant for you now or later, please practice them. And in the forgiveness practice, there's usually three stages. The forgiveness that I grant to others for the ways they may have harmed me. The forgiveness I ask for from others, human and more than human, for the ways I may have harmed them. And the third, the asking and perhaps offering forgiveness to myself for the ways I may have hurt or harmed myself through actions of my body, speech, or mind, for the ways I may have gazed upon my own body. And that's how it begins. So, for the ways that I have looked upon this body, my body, and for the ways I may have hurt or harmed you. Through the limited nature of my assumptions and my gaze. I ask now for your forgiveness. <coughs> For the ways I may have gazed upon your bodies and other human bodies in ways that caused harm through the limitation and the assumptions of my gaze. <coughs> 
for the lack of capacity to resonate and the ways that may have hurt and harmed you. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. For the ways I and those of my kind, my culture, may have gazed upon you or those of your kind and culture in ways that have withdrawn the recognition of sacredness in any way from subtle to gross. I ask for your forgiveness.